Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I am good. I'm having a really good week. Awesome. Yeah. What's been going on? All right. So I have a new theory of productivity. Okay. Which is... Lay it on me. Okay. Uh, no productivity system works forever. And so you should actually intentionally switch productivity techniques every so often. I think that actually could be like maybe a thing. I bet you could write an ebook about this. What if you collected like 20 good productivity systems together uh, and like dripped them out every few weeks to people? Like I feel like that would work for me personally. Because I, I get this like very high effective period for a new set of things where I'm excited about it. And it totally works. And I notice big improvements. And after a couple of weeks, it works so well that I stopped doing it for some reason right. <laughs> that I've yet to been able the, to figure out. The newness wears off. <laughs> I guess so. I think it's like I stop doing it as opposed to it stops working, but the effect is the same. And so maybe I just need to embrace that um, and just like have a whole collection of these things. What's the uh, what's the newest system that you're trying out? Yeah, that's 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 the real point. So I read uh, I've been reading Deep Work by Cal Newport, which is a great book. And he recommends scheduling out your day, like actually like grab your calendar and actually write out like what you're going to do for the day with the knowledge that it will change and you'll have to move stuff around and it's never quite perfect. Uh, but if you consciously plan the day, you have a much better chance of spending the time on the things that are important than if you kind of bounce around between things. And so that's what I've been doing. I've actually been doing it at night, the night before. I'll be like, okay, here's tomorrow. Here's what I should spend my time on. And it's only been a handful of days, but it's been working very well for me. Um, for me right now, the stuff I've been blocking off the most amount of time for is recording, like like prepping this topic and then practicing it and then recording it and editing it. And um, I've also been, as part of that, I explicitly schedule in time to like process email and check Twitter and stuff. And so... I put that at the end of the day, like 4.30 or something when I'm feeling kind of fried anyway. And that's been really helpful because like at 1 o'clock when I'm working on stuff and it gets a little boring or a little hard, I'm like, I kind of want to go check whatever. But I'm like, eh, no, it's not on the calendar until 4.30. So I'll just wait until then. And it's just this kind of like simple mental trick. Uh, but that's been working pretty well this week. Yeah. I, th I feel like this could be... Um also like a product of the type of work that you need to be working on. So right now you're in the phase of you, you need to be creating a lot, right? You're, you're planning out your videos, your content, you're, you're strategizing, you're thinking about that. Right now your, your job is less about, you know, touching base with team members and maybe managing tasks of other folks or something like that, where it's more managerial, like you're definitely more in the creation mindset. And what you're trying to do right now is actively combat anything that's going to interfere with your long stretches of creative time. Yeah, I do, kind of do similar things where, I mean, I'm, I haven't been super rigorous about it, but there are definitely times of the day where I'm like, you know, this is my most productive time. Usually for me, it's mornings. So I, you know, I know that I want to get certain small tasks out of the way early in the morning so that then I can have a block of time that's that's just allocated to creative time. I don't know, you may find like once you get past creating the core of your course content and now it's more about like thinking about marketing or thinking about, you know, other types of tasks, you, that may be the time to switch up your, you know, kind of the way you plan out your day, I guess. Um, yeah, that's totally possible. 
I'd be surprised if I reached a point where I, it didn't give me some benefit. I imagine that there will always be important work to do in a day. That's kind of on, like in the creative, like the creating a lasting value nature. Yeah. Um, hopefully. But, but yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Because like even like, even as I switch gears to marketing, like I'm going to be creating blog posts or tweets or things like that. So we'll, we'll see. But I, it's, I, I agree. It's probably, a, it's, I think it's a particularly good fit right now where it's like blocking off three straight hours where I'm not going to do anything else totally is, has been working, is, is a good fit for this yeah. kind of work. Yeah. I would actually, yeah, I would suspect that probably as long as you're independent and you're not like growing a team or something like that, then you're going to be kind of the, the primary creator, the one who's responsible for for doing the making the actual stuff of the business. Right. It could shift if you get to the point where you're like hiring contractors or employees and you're like delegating work. And then it's may, maybe your days split up more into like micro chunks. And it's harder to say, like, during this time, these are the tasks that are on my plate because now like your job is to be interrupted by your team and keep them unblocked. Right. Yeah. Um, so Cal Newport talks about this, that thing as well or this concept and he recommends like just like scheduling in checking the email or like checking the twitter like schedule in the like to be interrupted at the time where it's like and this hour block is where i'm just going to be responsive recognizing that some people do need to be responsive at, at times of the day but i think that high level picture of like it's, it's the act i think i think a lot of the benefit comes from the sitting down before and saying what is important Therefore, how much time should I spend on these things? And like, should I be reactive to my team all day long and accomplish none of my big goals? No, that's not the right ratio. What is the right ratio? Right. Can I rage against Slack for a second here? Like, <laughs> yeah, man. Slack is the basically the prevents you from being able to operate in that way in a certain sense, unless you're really diligent about like snoozing notifications or, you know, really ignoring it for long stretches of time. And then, you know, fingers crossed that you don't miss something important that happened an hour ago that's now lost in the timeline, right? Well, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. It's just like, how can... Well, I kind of I alluded to it end of last episode where it's like, how can I get everything that uh, is not urgent, but something that should be on my plate? How can I get that into a queue of some kind so that I can always go back and visit it later? You know, it's it, crazy how like the tools in our quote unquote modern tool chain of ways of working asynchronously are still kind of uh, not facilitating best practices for for like letting async things stay async and protecting focus time you know totally yeah there's this weird thing where i think it's a little bit like some unhealthy drug or it's a little bit like the sugar i guess for your brain or something where it's like something about constant stimulation and interruption feels good in a way or or feels productive or something there's something about it where like people will embrace it i feel like despite the fact that it, if they stepped back and looked at their the time they spent using it they'd be like uh, actually that's not so much where i do want to spend my time some people see a tool like slack as a online version of being in an office with your team where you know anyone can throw up their hand and grab your attention or tap you on the shoulder and like that's it's nice to have those interactions with your team because it feels it feels very human, you know, it's like the, it's the way people communicate when they're face to face, you can gesture over and get grab some, pull someone out of what they're doing for a moment to have a quick conversation with them. I definitely found the value in that with our team. And that's why we ultimately had an office that we came into a couple days a week, um, pre-acquisition back when we were in Fresno. And, but like, I found my healthy balance was two days in the office and three days not in the office because like about two days worth of being able to like interface with the team face to face and be interrupted and, 
you know, have spontaneous conversations that lead to in- new insights was valuable, but maybe only about, you know, two fifths of the time. <laughs> Whereas kind of Slack, like Slack puts you in the, in, in the mindset of like, you're basically always available to be interrupted every day, all day while you're logged in. Yeah. So. And the brutal thing is, even if it's, if you're not like explicitly at mentioned and interrupted this, like you have this slight anxiety of knowing there are channels full of information and discussion happening. Cause I, I, I was like pretty good about closing Slack when I wanted to get things done. But then you come back and it's like, okay, the general channel has 75 new messages. And it's like, maybe there's something in there that you want to read and it's worth at least skimming. And like, I had this like compulsion of like, get everything unread. And so it's like flip through every channel. And it was just, I don't read dot anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't miss being on. I mean, I miss the, a little bit of the social interaction, maybe 10%, but 90% is like, it's kind of nice to not have that, this thing going off in my brain all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what I mean, people feel that compulsion around other things like uh, Hacker News and Twitter and Facebook. And I eliminated Facebook at the beginning of this year just because I wasn't really I wasn't using it for very productive things. I was mostly just like, you know, it was nice to see family pictures and stuff. But then like following a bunch of people from high school that I don't stay in touch with anymore. It's like, do I really need to be following these people's lives day to day? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> eliminate that distraction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Twitter is kind of my uh, my drug, my distraction drug of choice. Yeah, so I've too. been like I've been blocking it in my hosts file when I'm working. <laughs> nice, uh, because I like I, I subconsciously will pop up in a new tab and go to Twitter like without even a conscious thought towards it. Uh, so I have to add that interrupt in there. But I have noticed with just even just a couple of days where I've been doing these like long stretches of work, it gets like that impulse fades over time. Like eventually, I get into the zone on a thing. And then my brain stops wanting to, to switch. Another thing that's probably contributing to that is I've been... Um, today was my eighth day in a row of meditating in the morning. Uh, and I think that's probably helping as well. I do feel like my brain is a bit calmer. It's hard to say which one is which. Um, but in the past, when I've been consistent, I definitely notice I'm better able to focus on a single task at a time. Yeah, I think that, like strengthening your mental muscle, I guess, <laughs> being able to you know gain control over your emotions and the... And, your like natural inclination to be distracted. I think like all those things help. Um, I think this week, I don't know which components are which and what's reinforcing what or what's causing what, but I've been like the last, I've like exercised the last four days in a row. I've meditated the last eight days in a row. I've been doing the scheduling thing for the last three days. And it's just like, I'm getting stuff done. I feel calm and effective. Uh, I've been enjoying the people in my co-working space. And it's just like, I, I feel like last night, I was just thinking like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting it. I'm kind of doing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like an element of uh, momentum that you're building up where it kind of builds on itself. Like you have a few days where it's like it's working and then that is your incentive to keep it going. So I think it's something to probably watch out for is if you do well, like hitting the weekend and then coming back to it, like making sure that you keep up your momentum. You know, Monday morning, you might be want to be especially careful about like resuming the habits from the prior week so that you can build up that momentum again totally and it's funny you say that because i kind of accidentally took monday off this Uh week (laughs) where like i was tired from sunday and like just didn't really get to the office and then never really got rolling on anything and it was like i reached the end of the day and i was like i didn't do anything on monday yeah so um that's definitely a danger mondays can be weird because sometimes i feel like i leave off on a good place where i know that there's some meaty stuff for me to tackle on monday morning and like i'll find if i'm not if i'm not careful then i'll be like 
thinking about like, ah, I can't wait to get to this task on Monday morning. I can't wait to do that. And it's like a background thread in my head all weekend while I'm trying to like, trying to not think about work, trying to, you know, relax and recharge. And then come Monday morning, sometimes it's like, man, I just, I don't feel like the motivation doesn't hit me like I thought it would Monday morning. It's like, ah, how do I get started? I don't know what that is. But yeah. I've been struggling with a thing where, so when I record, I record at home. That's like where I have an iMac and a mic and all that. And when I finish my day, I'm still thinking about the stuff I recorded. And like, it's some of that is, it's still open on my screen when I'm like doing other things in the evening. And so I've been, that's been, it's been hard for me to stop thinking about work. And I, I think I need that time away to actually process and come up with new ideas and whatnot. So, so now I've been like trying to have like a shutdown procedure where it's like, all right, close all this stuff out. It'll be annoying to open it all up tomorrow, but like get rid of everything, all traces. Yeah. And I think like time boxing things is kind of known to lead to higher productivity. Like if you feel like, like your day can just expand infinitely or it's like, eh, I'll just keep thinking about this into the, you know, then, um, it's easy to, I don't know, thing, things to bleed over and you to not feel the internal, like, um, like a healthy stress to like get done what you wanted to get done that day before you're the deadline that you've set, which could be 5 PM or whatever you want it to be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I will say, speaking of deadlines, like talking to you and setting goals for the week has also been helping a lot. Yeah. Good. Um, I think that's a useful trick as well. It's like, well, I sort of publicly committed to a thing and to you and all that. So I'm trying to make sure I hit those, hit those goals. Yeah. To that end, remind me, what what was your goal for this last week? So my goal for this last week was to uh, finish two videos. Uh, So I'm taking next week off. Uh, It's the fourth. I'm going down to um, Martha's Vineyard and then out to Vegas for a little bit. And I am done with one. So I did the first like shippable recording of a new video on page objects. Um, I think I could probably just edit that and publish it. I think it's at the quality level I want it to be. Although I may end up re-recording it today after I watch it. I haven't like done a critical watch yet. Um, And I have the second video sketched out. And so I think I could finish that second one today slash tomorrow. So I think I may be able to hit that goal before I go on vacation, which is which would be great. I'm trying to figure out how much to like drip out, like how much to give away versus how much to hold back, basically. Because as soon as I finish a thing, I'm like, I want to get this out in the world and like show it to people because I'm proud of it. And I think it's cool. But also like, I I don't want to accidentally give away 70% of the course and then be like oh there's only a little bit more that you're actually paying for you could do like a teaser snippet i think that's what i'm gonna do yeah i think i'm gonna give away a little bit of most of the videos and then kind of have like a and and now we'll turn to something really interesting (laughs) haha just kidding to be continued kind of thing so we'll see i did a re-edit of the the video the first video i made uh and sent that out and got uh people were were into it i talked about that last week where uh, a lot of people said that uh the font was too small and I talked a little fast and I moved too quick a little bit. And so I sort of bumped up the font and slowed down and all that. And uh, people were, were psyched about it. So I feel like I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of figuring it out. I'm figuring out my resolution and font size and speed and, and all that. Although I, I am struggling a little bit where or I had a thought the other night, which was the talk that I gave, the refactoring good to great talk that sort of spawned this course and that, that got people excited in the, uh, initially was a result of a lot of practice, like weeks of practice, uh, followed by giving that same talk four or five times at different conferences, refining it after each instance. Um, and then that, that Aloha Ruby, the one that everyone seems to watch, um, was, was probably the fourth time I gave it live. 
And so I'm actually thinking like I, I think the videos that are that I'm putting together now are are good. They're like st- strong good videos. But I also think they're a little bit they could be better. Uh, they're not quite as awesome as if I had practiced them a bunch of times. Because like once you hit record, everything kind of falls apart. <laughs> and like all the little things that you thought you had are like, uh, oh, I have to actually do that now. And like, I'm not quite sure what to do here. And uh, the talking gets a little bit messed up. So I was thinking that I might start trying to do, like treat each of the videos like a talk that I practice maybe once a day or something like that. Like, I was thinking it would be a great warm-up kind of thing. Like each morning, like pick one of the videos, hit record, and just do it. And eventually, I think I'll come up with like a really, really solid recording of it. I love a video that feels natural and unrehearsed, but is actually really polished. And you kind of can only get there when you've practiced the crap out of it. And your, your mind is relaxed and can kind of picture what the next thing is without thinking about it too hard. Um, and like my, my fingers know all the keystrokes ahead of time. Yeah. So I think I'm going to start doing that a little bit. I think it sounds interesting. Like I'm sure you put for for any video, you put a certain amount of prep time and writing time and planning time into it. So I almost feel like that could be, that could be your method that you use in replacement of something else is just like following your similar talk prep format for these videos, as opposed to trying to sit down and write down word for word, what you're going to say, or, you know, of the other ways to prepare. Like I, like, I don't know if this needs to be additive fully, like, like in addition to all the sim, all the normal prep you've done right now, now you also need to add this extra rehearsing component onto it. I I think you should be careful about over preparing or like spending too much time and letting that slow down your velocity too much um, by being like a perfectionist, you know, about the quality. Cause I, I mean, I saw the video and it was, it was definitely solid. And I think the, probably the most important part is the, is the actual concepts that you're teaching and less about the delivery. But I do think that, you know, making it feel natural and all that is also like definitely a, a, a good thing to do, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you're right. I think momentum is super important. So I don't want to, I don't want to get bogged down, but I also want to make sure I'm producing something that I think is awesome. I feel like with, with a, about a day and a half of prep, I can get something that to me is like a B plus kind of thing. Uh, and that's, pr- that would probably be fine. Like if I like for, for most, I think most people don't have the same standard that I would have for my own work and people would still find it super valuable. Um, but in my mind, I'm kind of like, ah, I could make this better. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's good to follow that path a little bit. It's just staying mindful of your, your tendency to want it to be really, really good. And I, I mean, I have the same tendency, like, I mean, the same can be said of writing code, like you can spend too much time refining, making it really nice. And when it's really like, does, you know, how much of that really matters? There's a certain threshold um, there that I think you, you'll want to look out for. Yep, that's fair. I'm going to keep all that in mind. I'm trying to figure out also, speaking of balancing things, how polished a final product I want in terms of like delivery, I guess. Right now, when I make a mistake, I often back out and edit that mistake away. And so the video progresses pretty much linearly from start to finish without many bobbles along the way. I had a little bit more realism in the very first V1 I put out there where I was like, oh, well, hold on, wait, no, we'll undo that and come back here. And I also moved at my normal 
TDD pace where I was just like, I know what this error is going to be. Yep, it's the error I thought it was. So it's only on the screen for 300 milliseconds kind of thing. Yeah, right. Which is how right. I actually program what I'm doing. Like when I'm TDDing, I think I know, like, I know what's going to come next a lot of the time. And so people were like, oh, you didn't leave the test failures on the screen for very long. And that's true, but that's how I do it because I know what's coming. And it is a video. So if you don't know what's coming, you can pause it and read the whole thing. And so I'm trying to think like, do I want... Do I want to embrace my unique and like normal process and let people that can operate at full speed watch it at full speed and people that can't pause it when they have to? Or do I want to slow everything down and explain what I'm doing and talk more out loud? And so I'm, I'm not quite sure where I come down on that. It may be a question for your potential market, you know, but my so my inclination is that you don't want to slow it down too much because... It could become painful to get through if you're just, you know, if you don't have a lot of time to dedicate to watching the videos, you know, I, I don't know. And I feel like supplemental, like a supplemental document could potentially help with that, where it's like, you know, the video video is not necessarily the best format for someone to be reading error messages anyways, because even if you slowed it down by a few seconds, someone may have a slower reading pace and they'll end up pausing the video anyways, you know? But if there was like a, a document that kind of supplemented it, where it's like, here's the error message that appeared. I mean, you could consider doing that, like pasting your console output at various stages in a doc so that if someone wants to like follow along as they're watching or then like go through and skim through the, the doc later when they're actually like consuming it and learning it, you know, because you're also going to have you're also going to have people in your in your, you know, buying your course who prefer to learn more with text than than audio you know could be a visual versus auditory so yeah i had waffled on the text versions uh before but i'm i'm definitely going to make them so each video i will have notes for sure like like detailed notes for sure because some yeah some people don't even want to watch the video at all but i think more importantly it's really nice to come back to that like page and be able to control f and like what was that thing what was that example and you just like get to it fast as opposed to like trying to scrub through a video and find that. The, the thing that caused this is that I watch everything accelerated. I, even, I have a little Chrome plugin that for any HTML5, HTML5 video, it throws a little speed control on it. So on any site that has video, I speed it up. And I basically never watch anything slower than 1.5x most of the time. Um, very few things. And when I watch my videos, like I want to bump them up to like 1.7. Or like, and then, or like 1.5. It's like, okay, that feels good. Like 1.5. But like, I just want to ship it at 1.5. Like I want, I want people to like mostly not need to speed it up or not be able to speed it up because it's just, it's too dense. It's too fast. And let people that need the time hit pause, read the error message, think about what I said. Okay, get back into it. So I don't know if that's a good goal or not. I'm not sure if most people feel that way. But that's how I feel. And I don't know. I think, I think if I feel it, I should, I should probably just do what feels good to me. Yeah. So. I think you can use a plugin to speed things up. And like, so anyone who wants to watch it faster can do that. But the reverse is not necessarily true. Like if you shipped a really fast paced video, someone can't easily use like a slowdown. <laughs> like watching a, watching a fast video at 0.5x is probably not as good of an experience as watching a slower video at 1.5. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So on the very first video I put out, people i had a couple people compare it to uh gary bernhardt's destroy all software videos which i consider like a super flattering comparison and i liked that about his videos when i was a subscriber is that like i almost couldn't speed them up 
Uh, and so I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I kind of think that's the vibe I want to go for. Like you can hit pause. You could set expectations too for like, these videos are fast paced. Here's my recommendation. If you want to, if you want to read the error message, pause the video, you know, like you can sure. explain that to people. Well, like I'm um, reading the error message too, but if it's exactly what I expect, because I, I just did a thing that I know what's going to come, like, I'm not going to say there. And now it looks like we're missing the create action on the controller. So let's go create that. <laughs> and then like, right. it's, it's, that's not how I would teach someone if I were, they were sitting next to me or so I, I don't know. I, I worry that I'm going to drop into this like overly formal, overly explicative, slow thing. Because if I go fast, some people will not be able to follow it. But I don't know if this is the right mentality, but I think there's an opportunity to kind of make it my own. Where it's like, this is a Ben style, learn to refactor your Rails app course. And my style is dense and fast. And that's just, that's like what you can, you can, you can buy this course if that's what you like. And if you don't like that, that's okay. You can slow it down or you could just not buy it. I think letting my own sort of personality come through might be a good way to to make it feel good and natural to me yeah i don't i don't disagree with that and i think it is it it also helps that it's by nature probably a bit more of an advanced course already because you're assuming that you have a solid understanding of how rails works and now you're now you're taking it to the next level to to do refactoring you know i think if it was like a learn introduction to rails course or something then it would be much more difficult to to sell like a really fast paced because by nature people are wanting to go really slow and they're learning fundamentals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Given the, given the thing we talked about earlier of people's brains wanting that constant stimulation, it's like, all right, let's just, I'll make a course for those people that need the quick hits. I had this one moment in the past video where I explained this error uh, that was sort of like a, a, a fairly basic error and I explained why it was happening. And somebody emailed and said, like, I thought the level of the video was great. You sort of like targeted this like intermediate plus level. And then you explained that error that was kind of a basic level error. And I was suddenly confused about who your audience was. And I was like, oh, is this actually for me? That seems like too obvious that you're explaining that. And I, and I, and, and I, I actually agree with that feedback. Like, I, I, looking back on it, I, I, I was thinking like, oh, I really should cut that. Actually, it was a little too, too simple. Uh, but... But he, that was kind of the thing that got me thinking of like, who, who do I want to target? Who, do I, who, am okay, who am I okay with losing? And there's a lot of basic Rails stuff out there. And there's a dearth of advanced, let's move fast and get things done style, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think you could turn that around as a selling point of mm-hmm. like, this is fast paced. I'm not going to waste your time explaining things that you already know. Yeah, I, you know? I think a cool tagline would be like, videos you can't watch at 1.5x or something <laughs> nice yeah 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 okay i think you've i think you've convinced me like Did i sell you that's yeah I, I, so. I was cool i was thinking of maybe doing like a five minute uh sample for my next topic like do one in each style and send it out and just be like vote for your favorite what did you like uh or maybe i'll just do it and watch both and be like i'm totally doing the faster one i just i have a hunch i'm gonna like it a lot more you could even call it like a, a lightning course or something like you can really you could really you could push this as far as you want in terms of as a selling point. If you're finding that it's resonating with people if people are like, yeah, this I could see test the testimonial almost writes itself. It's like I never buy video courses because they're too slow and I don't have time. Ben's course content moves really quickly, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, I like that. And, and I, it sort of fits with the, th- the theme of how I'm picturing making content. 
So like I, I've another idea that I was pitching was the tiny book on faster rails tests. It was like subhead is so short you'll actually read it. <laughs> nice. And, and I, like I want. I, I think that. I think that's an underutilized trick, which is like you don't need twelve hours on refactoring Rails app. You need a really good nine minute video on a top on like, like a handful of topics that are like super actionable. Here's a quick demonstration of how to do it. Here are the pros and cons. We're out. So I think I'm going to push that further. Yeah, I've convinced like myself as in, in the course of convincing you. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. I, I found myself with this impulse where I was like, what if I just shipped the video at like 1.2x? Just sped it up mm. and didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Like that might, <laughs> that might be awesome, actually. If it were subtle enough that you couldn't tell it was sped up, if it just seemed fast, that might be kind of great. Yeah, the, the the speed up technology has gotten better so that you don't sound like a chipmunk when it's when it goes fast, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I might I might do both those things. <laughs> yeah. We'll nice. see. Yeah, you could also ship. You could ship like say, here's normal speed, and here's the sped up version. You know, as a convenience in case someone doesn't have a, the plugin that'll do the speed mm. up. You know, mm-hmm. like, or I'll include the plugin for an extra forty dollars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's free. Yeah. It's free. You could just get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm feeling good. Uh, I feel like as a general, how am I doing in life uh, thing? My, I feel like I'm, it's working. Like I'm getting the social interaction I want. I'm getting stuff done at quote unquote work. Um, it all feels like it's kind of coming together. So uh, what's new with you? Yeah, so I just have, I have a quick one, which is okay. good because we're, we're, <laughs> Because I talked about here for a million hours. No, no, this was good stuff. I wasn't going to slow it down. Yeah, it's kind of the notable notable thing from this week was that uh, last Saturday we had a technical incident. I would say that involved it involved a little bit of like intermittent um, downtime actually for the app. It happened, of course, as as these things do on a Saturday evening. Yeah, that's I was brutal. Sipping a cocktail. <laughs> oh no. Um, and was away from my keyboard, but luckily there was some other folks online to. So I was kind of interfacing with them and they were, they were doing all the keystrokes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a confluence of different events. It was a, a particular integrator of ours was sending abnormally or payloads that were of an unusual size for what we typically receive. And it was overwhelming some front end servers. And it was also filling up some, some queues in the background that normally, normally have way like way underutilized capacity. And they're actually getting close to their maximum capacity, the Redis queues. So there was like a number of things that all combined led to it, like an incident that had a little bit of intermittent downtime and took us a couple hours to finally make sure that things were stable and, and good. And so, you know, after the incident happened, we, uh, one of our team members threw out the idea of doing a, uh, what's called a blameless postmortem. If you've heard of this concept, but there's a, there's a blog post from a few years ago from, I think it's the Etsy engineering team. They actually have a nice PDF guide on it called like the guide to blameless postmortems or whatever. I'll, I'll make sure we get a link in the show notes. Um, and it, I, I really love the concept. I mean, I think it's it's not necessarily like inherently in our in the drip engineering culture. We we like don't have a blame culture where, you know, some some teams would potentially say like, OK, we had an incident. Whose fault was it? You know, and what which operator can we blame for the error? You know? So we don't really have that problem by nature, but I think it still was was healthy for us to kind of follow the patterns laid out from this guide that was basically like, 
have a postmortem, reconstruct the timeline of events, and then let's use let's use the meeting as an opportunity to learn. Mainly, it's a learning exercise. Learn what you know at each step. What happened? What were the decision? What was our decision making process as we were troubleshooting the problem? And in what ways did our systems you know aid us in our ability to troubleshoot? In what ways did it inhibit us? So, like, there were a number of takeaways from this that were kind of like not even speaking directly to the problem at hand, but just things like, you know, we had one particular server that went non-responsive due to some because of some like errors that were happening and the, the whole instance kind of fell over. And then we were trying to do like an emergency deploy of some hot fix uh, or some mitigation tactic. And like the deploys were failing because this one instance was was not responding. So it's like, all right, we should have we should relook at our deployment process and make sure that one failing instance doesn't cause the whole deployment to to fail. And there are a number of other take other takeaways similar to that. It was a great opportunity for the whole backend team to kind of learn the decision making process that we go through. And, and a lot of that is stored in my head just because I've I've been on the team the longest and done the most troubleshooting. I feel like it was a good opportunity to start to get some of that stuff out of my head and onto into other people's heads and then into ultimately into documentation. So another takeaway from it was like, we're going to start to work on kind of a playbook for if, if this particular thing is happening, like if we're seeing a, a big spike in 502 errors from, from our front end servers, then here are the places to look kind of in, in loose order. And you know, and if any of those is really difficult to look at, then we need to file file something to make that easier to to troubleshoot in the event that that things are on fire. You know, yeah, it was a it was a great uh, exercise, and I think we'll definitely do it again in the in the event another technical incident happens in the future. Nice. Do, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about the process of that, like the actual meeting, the, the retro, the the teardown of what happened? Yeah. So. So basically, you want to you want to designate someone to be a facilitator, um, and that ideally the facilitator is not someone who is directly involved in the incident, which was which worked out great because there was there were a number of folks who who happened to not be online at the time, so you know any one of them could have been could have facilitated the meeting. But and so you're reviewing your response to the incident as opposed to like the root cause of the incident in this meeting. Yeah, like and that was a that was a big. I'm still trying to under grasp like the the ideal way to run these meetings but basically the goal is not to unearth the root cause from this meeting and i still think it's an important exercise to go through and it's like ultimately we did identify like okay the actual root cause in this case was this particular provider sending us large payloads but i think the the whole idea is like finding a root cause can lead to i think a myopic view of the incident like you can say like okay this one provider sent us large payloads and if your takeaway is that we should you know implement uh, more aggressive rate limiting for this provider then you've perhaps missed a broader issue i think so ultimately i think some some of the root cause you know aspects kind of fall out of the discussion but the goal is not to try to get to root cause it's just to try to learn about all the factors that went into it so that sounds like a, a, a wise approach to this thing. Someone that's been through it a lot can't realize that the, the key is not the root cause. It's the what's our response to these things. Exactly. And and the guide goes into detail about like specific examples of like, all right, so, you know, say that there was 
operator error at a certain point. It's like, don't stop there at, you know, okay, this person made a mistake. It's like, well, what led up to you making that mistake? And then maybe you say like, well, at the time I had this information from this system and it led me down this path. And it's like, okay, the information from that system was incorrect. So it really wasn't operator error. It was the fact that the operator had bad information or, or wasn't able to get the right information fast enough to make a good decision. So yeah, the, the idea is like a facilitator who wasn't directly involved kind of just asks a lot of questions around at, at each step of the timeline. And, and then of course the people involved, you know, should reconstruct the timeline, which I did. I kind of went through Slack and went through our, our alerting system and kind of pieced together. Like at this point we were discussing this and then at this point we got this alert and then we got this other thing and, you know, kind of just made a, a bulleted list with timestamps. And, um, and we just talked through each of the steps and, and those of us who were involved kind of just said at the time, yeah, here's what I was thinking. And I wanted to do this thing, but I felt like that was too risky. So we went down this path and it was overall, it was great. Nice. So you're, you mentioned one takeaway was we should have a playbook for things to do in in response to certain issues. Were there other takeaways from that meeting for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we did have a number of like infrastructure changes that like I kind of bucketed them into short term and long term and maybe medium term mitigation things. So it's like, you know, in the short term, we should make sure that like certain key things that weren't documented are documented. And then long term, it's like the playbook is more in the long term thing. And it's like something that we're going to gradually build up and contribute to, um, you know, and there's also things of like a certain subsystem that involves sending webhooks. We need to move that into its own microservice. And it's been on our list for a long time. And it's like a number of the problems that occurred would have been mitigated if we had like a more scalable queuing system that was backing our webhook sending infrastructure. But it's like that's more of in the long-term bucket, not something we're going to do tomorrow. So we kind of split it between like things we can do now that are relatively low cost and then things that are longer term. It sounds like yeah. some positive things came out of it yeah yeah not like a great thing to have happen on a saturday but it maybe helped right (laughs) it also wasn't catastrophic so it might have been like the vaccine version of a of a downtime yep exactly yeah nice that's good that was a negative turn into a positive i felt good about it and we you know we we only took an, an hour of engineers time and so it wasn't like a big i'm always leery of like implementing like this when this happens now we must have this meeting you know oh yeah yeah yeah. putting putting some kind of like meeting requirement on the books but i think i feel like it was definitely worth worth the time to do nice yeah sounds like it yeah cool well uh we're getting a little long you want to wrap it up yeah let's wrap it cool if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode you can go to artofproductpodcast.com thanks for listening thank you